Looking to get your kid back on the ice this year, but not sure that you can? The Flames Even Strength Program is back again to help Southern Alberta families ensure their kids can play hockey. Qualified low-income families can receive up to $700 to help cover the registration fees and will gain access to no-cost equipment from the Calgary Flames Sports Bank. Head to kidsport.ca slash Calgary to learn more. We at Sport Calgary like to stay active in person and online. Be sure to follow us at Sport Calgary on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. All right, welcome back to the Face First podcast. My name is Grace Dafo, and my name is Alicia Rissling. Today we have a very special guest on. We have Leah Weens, and she is a quality sport and physical literacy mentor slash trainer. Welcome to the program, Leah. Morning. <laughs> um, Leah will help you organize and achieve your goals by connecting you with the most applicable information, resources, and process based on current organizational capacity and needs. Whether it be providing the latest quality sport information to your board, developing a long-term athlete development framework that includes underserved populations, creating a customized training plan for your staff and leaders, Leo will save you time and energy in connecting you with the exact information, resources, and partners that will get you to where you want to go. Leah is also a certified exercise physiologist and a master learning facilitator with over 30 years of experience in developing leader and organizational capacity in the community sport and recreations or sport in sport and recreation schools and provincial and national sport organizations. It's quite the bio, <laughs> quite the bio. <laughs> yeah. So, and if I'm not wrong about this, Leah is also a, one of Grace's former bosses as well. <laughs> I'm starting to think that this is, so we've had a, two of my other employers on the podcast. So I'm starting to think that, uh, that this is like an employment history update. So, um, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to chatting and, and catching up, I guess it's been a few years. So <laughs> yeah. Um, Leah, what we like to usually do with all our guests is start with, uh, uh, their sporting background. Why? Like, obviously you have to have a love of sport to do what you do. So why don't you just take us way back? Tell us some of the sports you played and the levels you played at and, how it's gotten you to where you are now. Sounds great. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. And when I yeah, saw that Grace was a part of this, I was so excited to yeah catch up. I've sort of followed your career and followed your, both as an athlete and through your community work and supportive sport. So it's really cool to see, yeah, to see the two of you doing this podcast. So I was really pleased to be invited on here today. And as far as my background, uh, I, came into this more from the true like multi-sport recreational athlete I do not have any accolades as far as a high performance athlete goes so for a long time I felt like maybe I shouldn't be working in the space with all of these people who have high performance background then I realized no we need people like me as well to balance it out to show that you know I did come from a multi-sport background my parents knew nothing about sport and physical activity, but they, you know, we, they had us in swimming, my sister and I, they had us in skating, uh, they had us in baseball, I did gymnastics, I did dance, sort of became this multi-sport athlete without even realizing it. And what that did for me was just created a level of comfort and, yeah, comfort to be able to participate really in any kind of sport and physical activity. And I found the things that I loved to do so I yeah I never really did anything at a high level but I did come to love swimming a lot and became 
at lifeguard when I was 16. And then where I got my start in leading in fitness and physical activity was really when I was asked at the age of 16 to teach an aqua size class by the head lifeguard who hated teaching it. And I was like, Oh my goodness. Okay. So I, I, I'm going to show my age here, but I went home and made a mixtape from songs recorded off the radio and love it. I uh, put my songs together and put my songs together and I taught the class and I absolutely loved it. Just everything about it, the time off the deck with the time interacting with the ladies, how it felt to just share that movement and the love of activity, laughing together. And so that really kicked off my my desire to be involved more in a fitness capacity in the health and fitness realm. So then I went in to do my phys ed degree, kept teaching fitness classes throughout that time and worked really for a long time in health health promotion. I worked at the Be Fit for Life Center in at the University of Calgary for about eight years to kick off my career, which was a fantastic place to start because I got to work with schools, communities, workplaces, university contacts, uh, leaders from the city of Calgary. I really expanded my network and I got to jump in with two feet into the whole system and learn learn all about that. So I feel very fortunate that way. And then, yeah, then as I had my own system, started to see some of the gaps in there and that's where my career kind of pivoted into more of the, I guess, quality sport world and how can we apply some of these principles of of movement and the value of movement in our lives to the sports sector. Quite the process. <laughs> now, when and you, I, when you I talk, can keep going, but I'll, I'll pause there. <laughs> no, that's okay. So, yeah. So the the one thing that really picked out there that uh, you really emphasize is the quality sport of things. So, we're like, do you have any specific examples of of what you saw and and why you discovered gaps? Like, what 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 would you what would you define quality sport as? Sure. So the biggest piece for me was uh, at the time I was married to one of our preeminent uh, long-term athlete development creators or developers, uh, Stephen Norris. And so he would come home and say, Hey, we're doing all this great work. Uh, we're trying to make sure kids don't specialize in sport too early. And we want them to try lots of different things so that they develop. We weren't even really talking about the term physical literacy at the time. So my son is now 22 and he was about this also makes me feel really old, but he was about six, five, six at the time. And we'd have these dinner table conversations about what sports to sign the kids up for and, and, you know, to not sort of put them in these really heavy sports really young. And so as I started to learn more what was happening and then compared that, or sorry, what the, the scientists and the experts were saying and then what was happening on the ground in the sport world, in the community level, there was a huge disconnect there. And so in my naivete, I thought, well, if we just educate our local sport providers, they'll see that, you know, they should be running shorter seasons for the younger kids. They should be encouraging kids to play lots of different sports and, you know, making it accessible for everyone. And so I we started down this path of really educating and informing. And although we created a lot of like nodding heads in a positive way, there wasn't a lot of change that happened right away. And so sort of realizing that it's going to take more than just providing that information, but providing that support and mentorship and sort of some small steps in order to, in order to make some changes so that sport is for everyone, not just the families that can afford it or the families that are driven to do, you know, on the track to high performance sports and to really make it about child development. 
now that we've talked about, um, you know, kind of quality sport and, and some of that, and like I said, you, you were the person in university we were taught to, to look up to and, and like look at, at what's, what is happening in sport and quality sport and physical literacy in, in Canada. Um, and then moving over to working for you in Sport for Life Cochrane, um, which was wild to be working for someone that you learned about in university as like the leading person. Um, but what I really learned is Cochrane's like a hotbed of quality sport. So I want to hear a bit about how Sport for Life Cochrane came about and how you've essentially helped develop that hotbed of sport and quality physical activity. Uh, definitely. It was, it was so great to have, have you involved. So we'll talk a little bit about that as I get to that point. But we, Sport for Life Cochrane really began out of a, I guess, a desire to share all of the information that I, myself and the other board members have access to of what could be, what are, what's the potential, how can we build on all the great things that sport is doing in our community, but even to a greater extent. So understanding, you know, what are the risks of early specialization in sport? What are the ways we can, we can encourage families who maybe wouldn't necessarily access sport for either financial reasons or maybe cultural reasons, or, you know, just out of a sense of unfamiliarity with sport or values perspective. So how can we start to broaden the thinking of our local sport organizations through some education, through some motivation and through some connections and so with that, one of the ways we tried to do that was through bringing in different guest speakers. And so we had John O'Sullivan from Changing the Game Project who came into the community. We've had various different uh, educational sessions over the years. And then when you came in, Grace, we, were, we had received a grant to run a multi-sport program. So that was a 10-month program where children could attend, or so they would participate in a different sport every month. So for four weeks, they would have hockey and then another four weeks they would have dance and so it was an amazing way to really connect and create partnerships with our local sport associations in a tangible way i think sometimes when we talk at a high level everybody agrees in principle with the ideas and the concepts of long-term athlete development and physical literacy but how do you actually do that and so when we were able to bring you in as a new graduate who really understood physical literacy and you were really yeah, amazing at creating those partnerships and also getting us organized and helping us to really get that off the ground. And that was a really good way of just explaining to the community what we were about and how, what this could look like. So sometimes we talk about you know, how we might wanna uplift the sport system, but we don't know what that looks like. So I saw that multi-sport program as here's this alternative way of thinking about how to yeah, how to access sport, how to develop physical literacy without having to sign up for, you know, one sport or choose between sports and, you know, burst your budget and, you know, take up all your family time. How's a way that we can do this in a manageable way that meets the needs for long-term as well as short-term community? Um, yeah, you guys were both involved in this, so I guess I have a couple questions about it. I, I know it's no longer running though right now, correct, right? Yeah, but just when, when it was running, what were the, the, my two big questions are, what were the age groups? Um, was there one gender that was more involved or other, or was it pretty 50-50? And uh, what was the kids' feedback in going through this, this program over the months? Like, did some of them enjoy playing everything and everything, or did some of them like some of them and not others? Because that would be my expectation, but maybe speak a little bit to that, please. Absolutely. Well, I think Grace can probably fill in some gaps here if I can't remember, but 
the age group was six and seven year olds and it was kind of grade one age is what we sort of targeted and there were more boys than girls i think out of the 20 some kids there were only two or three girls is that right grace something like that there was definitely less than five it was majority boys yeah. if my memory yeah. serves correct yeah yeah okay. and uh, so there were definitely fewer girls, so that was very interesting to us. And the girls that did participate were right in there. They loved it. It was great to watch them develop, and they weren't phased at all by you know not being in the in the majority there for sure. Overall, everybody enjoyed all of the sports. There were some who yeah would pick one like that they really enjoyed. So there were a couple a couple of boys who did sign up for hockey the next year, a couple of families that chose soccer, a couple that chose dance. It was pretty varied. Mm -hmm. We do have a video on our website and some results from that, but overall the families were very happy with the program and there was, yeah, a lot of enjoyment out of it. And I would say also having the local sport partners deliver the programs, there was a lot of enjoyment on their part. It was just such a special, I guess, treat to be able to, to show showcase their sport to a new group of up and coming kids and and do it in a way that was really informal and casual and we also had a really big focus on family so there were a lot of times where we would invite the parents to come out or we would have family nights and i yeah i just remember um one of the rugby parents and their son i think riding on their mom's back or doing some kind of fun activities together <laughs> and just having a great time in the gym. So we tried to really reinforce uh, the, the family time and playing together as well. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. yeah, no. And I think one of the major challenges, Alicia, was the facility usage, getting facilities, obviously cock- there's so much going on with all different sports and sure. facility usage is at an all time high. And um, as well as like organizing the sport partners and like once they were in, they were in, but everyone had such busy schedules because it seems like everyone is wearing four or five different hats in the Cochrane sport community at once, you know, they got to get their kids to their own sports, but they're also working for this club. And, um, but it was awesome to have them deliver versus like seeing them as a competitor, you know, you want to be a partner rather than a competitor. And I think like, I think we were ahead of the curve if, if I'm honest, cause I still see people fighting for, um, for members and like, no, don't take our athletes. And I'm like, but they're not anyone's athletes. They're, they're just, people yeah. yeah for sure um leah my 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 next question for you is when when you started working with this and grace obviously speaking to to learning about some of the research and, and models that you've developed throughout university what was your education piece and then i'm and if you didn't do any like what kind of research did you have to do to kind of get this off the ground like uh did you do a, a master's or something or so my background, I did a Bachelor of Physical Education, which I don't know if it even exists anymore. There's a few schools in Canada that still offer the, the physical education degree mm-hmm. at U- University of Alberta. And so through that, I was um, introduced to the field of health promotion, which I didn't know was a thing. But as soon as I heard it, I was like, that is it. That's me. That's what I want to do. I want to help promote the benefits of mostly physical activity. But that whole idea of promoting healthy lifestyles and prevention. And so that really captured my, my imagination, I guess, when when my first or second year of university. So I did an undergrad in phys ed and then I did an undergrad in foods and nutrition. I think I started in nutrition and then 
kind of discovered the phys ed piece was more my jam. And so I really focused in on, on that. Uh, so I have, so I did not do a master's, but I feel like I was connected. I was with really great people who were, who had their masters, who had their PhD. And I would just be the sponge that would suck in that information. And I found when I started working with Canadian sport for life and all of the experts they there's a lot of them don't like to be called experts but like dr vicky harbour dr stephen norris that i mentioned uh gordy but there's like so many that really influenced me and inspired me because they could they would create the concept and the theory and then i felt like my role was really to help bring that to the ground so what does that look like on the ground where sure it's great to say we should have a multi-sport program in every community, but the barriers, as Grace knows, isn't, it's not that easy to just snap a finger and that happens. Yeah. So my experience was really lots of networking, lots of learning, and just taking ideas and then implementing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the multi-sport program for Cochrane really came out of an inspiration from the Antigonish, Nova Scotia multi-sport program, oh. and learning from uh, Stephanie out there on what they were doing. And then we took that model and brought it to Cochrane. So some of the less, some of the things they did didn't work in Cochrane just because they had a bit more of like government support and a bit more of a, a stronger partnership network with in, investors around the facility piece. So th- there were some good learnings there for us. And I would say the, yeah, the big learning we had was to really be able to create more of a made in your community and made in Cochrane approach. And that's what we've been working on now since that multi-sport program it didn't run the next year because we tried to then put up value on it where the first year, I think it was a hundred dollars or 200, something really cheap mm-hmm. uh, that parents could pay. And then the next year we, it, we increased it quite significantly as far as the cost went. And we don't exactly know where that was. Is it, is it the cost? Is it that at that age, parents don't really realize the challenges of getting involved in the sports sector and so we've just kind of taken that away and now we've started a new program through the schools the Cochrane Youth Sport Hub where we're partnering with schools to deliver programming it's very similar to the Calgary Sport Hub so again taking ideas right and then applying them in our context so we don't want to reinvent the wheel but we also want to be able to be sensitive to meeting the needs of both sorry taking the, the best of those ideas and then making them applicable within our community yeah Two things on that. One, Dr. Vicki Harbour, my favorite prof in university. Loved her. Um, <laughs> and then, so that actually was leading me into my next part. So um, so creating a program now where we're trying to emphasize physical literacy and, and multi-sport and this lack of specialization at such a young age because we know parents younger and younger putting these kids in like year-round hockey for literally 11 months of the year from the time they're five years old. And it's just... It doesn't. It doesn't work, and it's it's definitely proven to not be the the best answer. So, uh, my question to you is like, or you kind of just answered it, where you're you're bringing it into the schools now because it seems like that's the place where you're going to have the most reach. Um, how how much ha- has it been an issue working with the schools and trying to kind of educate the educators on on how to promote um, this this physical literacy and this this broad spectrum um access to multi-sports and and getting kids active in different ways um has there been pushbacks from schools have they been on board is it something that you think long term is going to be just grow speak to that please the schools overall 
or in support in concept. So there's no one who's going to say, you know, we don't want like sport in our school. We don't support physical literacy. The where I, the challenge is more in the implementation mm-hmm. and the practicality of how do we fit this in or making it a priority. So, so certainly some schools have a better ability for whatever reason, right? Maybe it's the, the principal comes from a background in phys ed, or maybe the schedule allows itself, the parent council is in support. Um, and so then they will work with us to open up their schedule or have that conversation about, you know, what's a good time frame? Can we bring pickleballs interested in delivering pickleball in your school for the next four weeks? How can we make that happen? And so it's, it's a lot about relationships. And so because uh, myself and then our different board members have different relationships within the schools. We sort of will sort of use that. So if it's a principal in one school, but it's a phys ed teacher in another, we don't have a one size fits all approach. It's more like, hey, where's our in? Mm-hmm. And then we build out from there. So if we can get one teacher to take on, you know, a class or you know one sport, and then the school sees the benefit, and it's sort of a lot of persistence and a lot of adaptability and flexibility because we. You can't go into a school with one size, I don't think, with one size fits all because they're all just like Cochrane is different than Antigonish. Each school has a little bit of a different culture, a little bit of a different way that they go about doing things. And so to be able to be really adaptable and flexible and then on top of that with the sport groups coming in to allow for some, you know, some, uh, I guess, flexibility as well with their scheduling too. So it's just really everybody having the mindset of we're going to make it work and we're going to figure it out. That's a big job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't yeah. think anyone, anyone has the answers, but I would say that like it's, it is interesting. You say the one size fits all. Cause I think in university we talked a lot, Oh, this is the best way to do it. But the implementation and the like actually putting boots on the ground and making it happen is some of the hardest, the hardest part and figuring out a way to, you know, get people to walk the walk essentially they're like yeah yeah I know I know putting my kid in in sport in an early sport specialization sport or whatever is is not great but then they just like don't act on it and uh mm-hmm. yeah it's definitely hopefully the next wave of of athletes are and humans are going to be much better off for you know this movement you're a multi-sport athlete Alicia so I mean you so can are you <laughs> well uh, not as much <laughs> not as much as you but uh yeah you can speak to the benefits that it it had in your career well, I mean, for me, it's a no-brainer. I talk about it all the time on this podcast. It's just, like, your ability to learn um, not just the physical side of it, too. Like, I, I would also speak to the mental side of it, too. Just your ability to handle yourself under the pressure of being in an individual sport versus handling the multi-personalities of being on a team sport. Um, that's that's another lesson that's invaluable that actually applies to real life as well when you depending on what career path you choose and um, you know playing something where you have to have an overall fitness like soccer versus something where you need to have power like uh, one of the track and like a jumping event in track and field or um, yeah there, there's just so many life skills and, and lessons and I'm just so thankful that my parents made me do every single sport even the ones I didn't want to which included dance um so like and and it just it it just it shaped my path in my life and 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 it opened up doors that I never even knew existed so uh I I always preach the benefit of it it's a no-brainer for me but it's just interesting to see 
uh, in an era now where we have numbers and data and research that can actually back this up where uh, again I'm a little bit older too and and for for us it, it wasn't we didn't do it because we just didn't want to specialize in something I my parents just put me in everything to see you know which one are you gonna like the most and that's really what it came down to, and it turns out I like them all, so that was a problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I think one of the other challenges is then we, when people hear that message, if you have the means and the motivation, you could you could spend all this money and spend all your time, you know, trying to register your child for all of these different programs, and then that gets into that whole overscheduling and burnout piece. And so coming back to how can we create it society where this happens naturally right just playing on the playground and family time where you're getting you know you're playing catch with your mom you don't need to go to a baseball program necessarily to learn that Mm -hmm. and so there's that piece and then there's the piece of in the schools where all kids are in a school and so you know phys ed is although we do have resources here and we have amazing phys ed teachers and curriculum in our province it's varied again, just based on capacity of schools, based on different, you know, different values and priorities. And so if we could, you know, raise the bar. So across every school, every child was, we're not focusing on, you know, just the sports it's basketball season. So let's teach basketball. It's volleyball. Let's teach volleyball. It's dodgeball. We're going to do dodgeball, but what are all the skills these kids need in order to play those sports and feel comfortable just walking up in a pickup game in the park or at recess time to go join the soccer game are we providing that foundation for those children so that they have the tools and then they can go and be active wherever they want and not only be active but want to be active as part of their lifestyle so the more we can create the to make it easy i guess and to sort of naturally make that happen just like all children learn how to read, not all children are physically literate. And I think that's pretty clear in our data. And in our, and there's there's really no reason for that other than we haven't prioritized it, I think, within our society. So that's sort of the vision, I guess, the, the big vision in all of this work. My, my question is, uh, do you think that the biggest, like you guys have both identified the implementation piece as the, the trickiest aspect of it, do you think that comes down to uh, funding? I think you can do a lot without funding and then there will come a certain point where the resources certainly help. Mm-hmm. I think I'm sort of hesitating. It probably depends on the day. If you ask me that question, I may change my mind. But if you look at our sport sector, let's say just the sports sector, I was just talking about this with a friend last night, how a few years ago, one of the sport consultants did a stat and they said that in Alberta, the health sector spends more money before lunch every day than the entire sport budget for Alberta for the year. So, but then you think about, okay, that's that's ridiculous. So we have such a small amount of money and since that time it's decreased even more. However, when you look at actually what does happen on that shoestring budget, the amount of return is massive if you think about it that way. So if we could have a little bit more money, I think for a 1% or 2% increase, you would get a 10 or 20 fold return on that as far as the benefits of raising the bar within our, raising the priority level, I guess, and then raising the impact that we're having across our society. Mm -hmm. So I think funding is one issue, but I think the ability to connect the sector, have a stronger voice and advocate for ourselves it's a sort of a, is it the cart and the horse, right? Do we need to get ourselves together and more organized 
and then the money comes or do we need the money in order to you know help us get together and i i don't really know but the other challenge is that there's such a diversity if you look at sport physical activity and recreation there's some different values and goals that are sprinkled in there so there's the activity and the participation and then there's the mental health and then there's the high performance and so if we could all just sit back and agree on one common goal that we could then go to government with or go to funders with and lobby for that funding i think we would have a much stronger voice and then that would all trickle out to achieve all of those goals so so I don't know the answer. It's it's definitely good food for thought, though. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's great food for thought. And just before we move on to the next topic, I just wanted to plug in Kidsport right here because it just goes like the way you just described it is the, the amount of, of what we can do with how little we have and, and the impact that we're able to make. And that's why um, we are so passionate about being involved with this organization. And it's just you know, that, that 1% or 2% can, can amplify big time. And it's, that's, it's just goes to show how, how much you can do with sport on a dime <laughs> and, yep. and what we can make happen too. So that, I just wanted to plug that in before we move to the next topic. <laughs> great, yeah. great plug. Um, so we've chatted a lot about what you've done and, you know, Cochrane, the Cochrane Sport Hub, Cochrane Multisport. Um, I guess I want to know what projects you're working on right now and kind of, you know, if someone wants to work with you, how do they get in touch with you? Absolutely. I've been very privileged in this last couple of years to partner with some amazing organizations. So outside of Cochrane, I've been able to do work across Canada. And so a couple of the highlight, I guess, projects that I've been working on is one with Canadian Women in Sport, where we're working on a gender equity project. And currently, it's actually a grant through the Make a Diff Sports Foundation in Alberta, where we've been able to uh, work with 10 locals, or 10, I guess, local and provincial sport organizations who are working through a toolkit to enhance gender equity within their sport organizations. And so that's been amazing. So that the 10 organizations are kind of working independently through the toolkit. And then we get together every six weeks and we have a call and they share their learnings and they work, they learn from each other. And we have everything from individual sports to team sports to, uh, to provincial sport organizations as well. So that one's been really rewarding and I'm just starting to now work on one that's more of a national focus so we'll have 10 organizations across Canada that will be working through that and so that's been yeah very very rewarding and also very interesting to see that the little things that start to change the way a sport leader thinks just from watching an online learning module about gender equity and sort of starting to think about some of the ways that we can just think a little bit differently and make a huge impact in how we're planning our sports and activities. So that's a good, that's a big one. And then another one that I've been working on through the National Sport for Life Society is through a physical literacy with Indigenous communities. And we're working with three, uh, two communities in Nunavut and one in Nunavik and using physical literacy as a tool for social development. And so working with their recreation departments and their municipalities to look at how can we support, you know, better, I guess, integration of physical literacy throughout their communities and seeing the different re- realities, I guess, and barriers and obviously things that we take for granted, uh, such as maybe a safe facility space or, a, you know, an ice um a nice uh, plant that actually works or, you know, the, not the cold temperatures, access to equipment, leadership development, retaining staff. I mean, all of the things that we might face here 
or amplified multi times in, in those communities. And so it's been a very humbling experience and a very in given me so many more insights and in, into the realities of how far we still have to go to make sure sport is accessible to everyone in our country for sure. That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. That's yeah. a lot in a garden. Sun's there, so yeah. yeah Anything no, you want to pick apart? I'll answer more questions if you want. <laughs> no, I. It's just. It's amazing what you're doing, and and uh, looking forward to seeing the fruits of your labor, if you will. And and I love hearing stories about, um, whether it be like obviously Grace and I are very passionate about women's equality in sports. So I mean, and I've been following the Canadian Women's Sports Foundation, so. Looking forward to see how that one goes, and then at all this, uh, the new following of all the indigenous communities, and just how important that is, and and like this country deserve or it like owes it to them to put all the resources we can and and helping them. So, thank you for what you do. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm very. I feel very fortunate to, yeah, just to have those insights because we if you're not connecting with those communities, it's kind of like the whole conversation around truth and reconciliation or, you know, even just gender uh, identity and those kind of things. If you don't, if you're not experiencing that yourself, then go out and learn about it, right? Go out and talk to people and sort of just listen and, and it'll help us to create that more mutual understanding, I, th- I think. So yeah, it's been, it's definitely personally been very rewarding and then obviously professionally as well. I feel, I feel very lucky. So yeah, thank you. That, that's great. Thanks for thanks for joining us, and it's it's great to catch up. We'll have to catch up outside of outside of a podcast sometime. But uh, totally. it's great to hear all the all the great work you're doing. It's still in in the sector. Um, I know still a long way to go, but we've come a long way in the last few years as well. Well, and one thing I think for me as just sort of evolving through my career, and earlier on, I you know I always wanted to change the system, and you know do sort of working at that higher level. And I think as I'm working through my career, I'm, I'm finding my energy to sort of fight the system is, is dying down a bit. So we need people like you to sort of pick up that torch and continue (laughs) to fight, but I'm really enjoying just working on the things that we can control and the things that, you know, where there are these little pockets of, of success and excitement and funding and, and passion and just really synergy, right. And, in finding those great scenarios. So I, I think I would say we all probably need to have an eye on both of the, you know, the system level, but also at the grassroots and, and, uh, at the community level of what we can control. And so finding that balance, but it's been, it's been yeah, really great and made for a very interesting career for me. No kidding. Um, If there are any sport organizations out there or anyone who needs to either consult you with you or have, have you point them in the right direction, how can they contact you? Sure. They can reach me at probably just at my email. So it's leahweens1 at gmail.com. And I also want to make a, I'm not sure when this is going to be aired, but, um, neither are we, sorry. (laughs) What's that? Neither are we, sorry. Oh, okay. No worries. So right now, with the, the another Make a Diff Sports uh, grant that I've been involved with, there's an opportunity to for your organization to host a quality sport for communities and clubs workshop. So we have funding until uh, this fall, like till kind of the end of November, where we can offer those workshops for free. And so we didn't really talk about quality sport, but the specifically how do we um, support good people, good places, and good programs. 
and we use a quality sport checklist as a starting point and then we build that out into discussions on how can we make some really small changes that give us a big return and improve the experience for everyone in our organization. So if anyone's interested in hosting a quality sport workshop or participating in one, they should definitely reach out and we'll and we'll plan something. It'll be yeah, it'll be great to continue that conversation throughout Alberta. Yeah, this will definitely be coming out uh, sometime soon. So uh, definitely before the end of November. So uh, any and so would you say this is more for individuals or sport organizations that are interested? Sport organizations, although we will have some. If someone's interested in attending a workshop, then I can you know put them on the list so that when we do have one that's coming up, we can we can get them registered for it as well. So all right, Both. awesome. Well, that's it for the Face First podcast. Thanks, Leah, for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next time. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks for your great work.